You know, I don't know if you've ever been on a trip you've looked forward to. You're dreaming about what it's going to be like on the other side of the flight. And as you are flying, um, you hear a loud boom. And, and all of a sudden, you look out your window and you see something like this. All right. Now, is that a cause for concern? I mean, sure, it's a cause for concern. It is engines that are propelling you to the place that you are dreaming of. In this case, this scene happened eight days ago on a flight from Denver to Honolulu, Hawaii. Now, now, what do you think? Okay, Honolulu, Hawaii, that, that, that's not cheap, and that's kind of known as paradise. So, figuratively speaking, you're on your way to paradise— Everything is going just right until that big explosion. And you look out, and, and just eyewitness accounts of this on the plane as they, were, they heard this big explosion. They were looking out. They, they were seeing the sight. Those with kids who were sitting close to the windows, they closed the windows, and, and just they started praying. And I know one lady just said, you know, when, when you look out and you see a sight like that, you are reminded that at that time, all you can really do is pray because you have no control over anything. For many, they just thought this is the end. It's, it's over. Everything that we dreamt of is now coming to an end. And, and I find how similar this last year has been for a, a lot of people in a lot of ways. I mean, it's been a crazy last 12 months, hasn't it? it, it it's just been a crazy year. It, it, life has changed so much for so many. Some people have lost their jobs. You know, we had this week, the, the uh, you know, over 500,000 now have lost their lives in some COVID-related death. Um, so families are being impacted. Um, there's just so much that has been impacted. And it's in those times we, we find ourselves living this life experience called chaos. And, and we don't like it, do we? We don't like the chaos. But this is why I'm excited as we are in this journey together. For those of you who are joining us, uh, Grace Spring Bible Church is on this journey through the Bible in 2021. And it has now taken two months. And by today, we will finish uh, Genesis. All right? It's like, praise God. I mean, now we only have, what, 65 more books of the Bible to go, and it's only taken us two months. I know, I know, but what is such a joy is to hear so many of you reading. In fact, this morning I was uh, talking to so many who are in the book of Numbers. It's like, praise God for the book of Numbers. Praise God for the book of Leviticus. Praise God for these books because there is a reason that the Holy Spirit of God has sovereignly put these uh, scriptures in the Word of God for us. But today, we're going to be looking at the life of an incredibly important character. This character is so important that Genesis, the book of Genesis, the very first book of the Bible, the book of beginnings, is 50 chapters long. 25% of the very first book in your Bible is dedicated to the story that I will cover now in the next 40 minutes. Help him, Jesus. All right? Oh, hey, it's only 14 chapters. This is going to be easy. I see some of you are getting a kick out of this one. But, um, but through this story, 
we've got something that I think is so important. There is an overriding truth that I believe serves kind of as the watermark behind this entire story. And it's an inconvenient truth that we don't like, but here is the overriding truth we will see throughout. You ready for this? Pain is never pointless. All right. There's a few amens out of that. I don't think this is something that we are just like, oh, yeah, I get that. But pain is never pointless, and yet none of us likes pain. And there might be a few of us, but you guys are weird. Um, pain is something that we try to avoid and I think the chaos that many people feel like they are in, particularly in this last year, is because your comfort has been impacted. Your security has been impacted. Those places that you go for refreshment have been closed down. You, there's just been a whole bunch of chaos, and that is only accentuating maybe other challenges that you were going through. But I so want this to stick in your minds that I don't want you to hear it, nod, and just say, oh, yeah, 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 pain, uh, pain is never pointless. I want you to repeat it with me. All right, will you do that? Pain is never pointless. Okay, now can you say it in a way that you are willing to uh, come under the truth of this? Okay, so let's say it with a little bit more mm, conviction. Pain is never pointless. Okay, now, right now, you might say, yeah, but you don't know my story. Well, we are going to be introduced to a, a dreamer today, but let me show you where he falls in the family tree. Okay, Genesis chapter 12, God calls this guy Abram. His name would be changed to Abraham. He would be the father of many nations. God appointed through his lineage for the Messiah to eventually come, who is prophesied in Genesis chapter 3. So you've got Abraham, you've got Isaac, you've got Jacob. Last week, okay, uh, which of those two women um, did Jacob love more, or even which of those two did Jacob love? Okay, Rachel. This is why uh, we're not into polygamy here because one will always feel bad, all right? I mean, there is value in giving your love to one, all right? So, but Jacob hadn't learned the lesson of what it felt like to be the unloved one, and so he falls into the trap, and he gives all of his attention to Rachel. But here is what is interesting about the 12 tribes of Israel, that they all come from a, a, a son of Jacob. Jacob is the dad, but look at those two moms. You've got Leah. Leah, she has the firstborn, Reuben, and then it goes on to her fourth son. And notice which son's name is Bold, because in Bold, that was the line of Messiah, okay? It is Judah, Judah, Leah's first, fourthborn, that Messiah would go through Judah. How many of you read Genesis 38? 
If you read Genesis 38, you're probably snickering right now because that was this crazy story and Judah's in that story and you finish reading that story and you go, God, why would your Messiah, the lineage, go through Judah? This guy's messed up. But then again, so was Jacob, Isaac, and to appoint Abraham. So what I love about this is God uses messed up lineage to accomplish his will. Amen? Good. That's where the name in. But, okay, so notice, though, there's not 12 sons there. There is other um, servants who also had some kids. So, again, this is uh, going to be the 12 tribes of Israel. But Jacob's favorite wife was Rachel. She could not conceive for the longest time. Finally, she's able to have a son. His name is Joseph, but she has him way later. So now you have all of these older, all of these older siblings. And Joseph, now this is where our, our story starts. So I want you to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter 37. Uh, because of the length of the story, I'm going to do a lot of summarizing for you. I will have trust that you will have read this um, in advance, or at least we'll go home and read through this. But here we have um, the beginning of this main character that will be the main character for all of these chapters. You've got Joseph. Verse 2, it says, these are the generations of Jacob. Joseph being 17 years old. Okay, this is important because it's important for you to know in the story you're about to read that it starts out with Joseph being a teenager. Are teenagers always smart? Oh, yeah. <laughs> okay, if you're up here, you're hearing these teens said, absolutely, they're smart. They know more than their mom and dad. Um, well, anyway, just for the record, teenagers aren't all that smart, but they're very idealistic. And uh, anyway, you have the representation of a not very smart 17-year-old who knows that his brothers don't like him very well. Here is why. If you go down to verse 3, um, it says this. Now, Israel loved, Israel's another name for Jacob, loved Joseph more than any other, other of his sons because he was the son of his old age, and he made him a robe of many colors. Now, some say, yeah, I know the story. I've seen the musical, but here's the deal. This robe of many colors in the Hebrew it is a long-sleeved robe, and that is very important because this was a robe given for status. You never had a younger brother wearing this robe. You never had that. That was always reserved for the oldest, the firstborn, because it was this robe. When you wore this robe, it was a sign to everyone around that you were special and you were so special that you didn't have to do manual labor. So if you have to do manual labor and you're an oldest and you're doing all this and then you see this younger favorite brother coming along sporting his, his robe, it is communicating, oh, you're not the favorite, I am. You're not the favorite, I am. Okay, so you've got some dreams. And in your dreams, those dreams are your brothers bowing to you. 
In fact, as he is saying this, he is saying, I have dreamed a dream. And it's, it's your sheaves of wheat bowing to mine. It's, it's you guys are bowing to me. This is why I said the 17-year-old wasn't too bright. He knows his brothers don't like him very much. And now to add fuel to the fire, he is saying, oh, by the way, I had some dreams. And in each one of these, you guys are bowing to me. Now, do you think that is smart? No, that is unwise. That is very immature. Just don't do that. If that happens to you, just don't do that. Just keep it to yourself. But anyway, Joseph does that. And you see time and time again, they hated him. Oh, and then the second dream, they hated him even more. Okay, he's adding fuel to the flame. So now Jacob calls Joseph, hey, you know what? The, the brothers, they're, they're away. They've got the herds. Can you just check on them? So he takes his ATV and he checks on um, the, the brothers and they see him in the distance. They see him in the distance. In verse 20, it says, come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. He says, okay, here's the deal. We, 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 we see him coming. He's a long ways away from the protection of daddy. And what daddy doesn't know, I mean, come on. We now can get rid of this dreamer. And see, this is the visual that I want to camp on here throughout the sermon, throughout the life of Joseph. And that is, here is one who was... Uh, stripped of his robe, if you see in verse 23, so when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore, and they took him and threw him, threw him into a pit. So, have you ever felt like you've been thrown into a pit lately, in the last year? I tell you, there's many who just feel like, okay, they've been stripped of everything. And this is the imagery uh, that, that I, I, I want to point out because this story is God growing a servant of his in faith. And when you're on this journey of faith, those of us who just say, yes, we believe in what Jesus Christ has done, we are in this journey of faith, we do ourselves a disservice when we think that we can grow in faith and not have painful situations to go through. In fact, I have found this in my years of living and walking with the Lord. I've learned that trials is the food to grow me up strong in faith. I mean, look at your stories. I challenge each one of you, look at your stories, and I would dare say that the time where your faith grew was the time where you saw God show up in ways, and it was when you cried out to him because he's the only one you could cry out to who could do anything about it. All right? but we don't like it. We don't like the pain. But what I find is that this journey, we see this being a journey of God stripping Joseph of Joseph's self 
promotion. Hey, look, you guys, this is what you're doing. This is my dream, and you guys are bowing to me. And God's got a work to do in this guy, Joseph. He's got a work that he's doing. And the work begins by being thrown into a pit and stripping him of his robe. It's stripping him, really, of his identity. His identity was in, hey, I'm daddy's favorite. My identity is, man, I look good. I look good in this coat. His identity was in all of these things in the very same way that our identity can easily be put in. Man, look at my family. Look how good our family behaves. Man, look at my education. Man, look at my degree. Look at my career. Hey, look at my position. Look at my possessions. Man, look, I've arrived. Look at the size of our house. Look at all this. I have arrived. But then what happens when that is stripped away from you? What happens when your career, the only career you have known, has been stripped from you? Well, we see that the brothers strip Joseph of his identity. They dip that robe in blood. They, they, they make up a story to dad, and they think that they are done away with this whole idea of this dreamer and whatever this dreamer dreamt. Well, we've just put an end to that. Well, some truths. There are three truths that I really want you to get this morning. Uh, three truths to embrace when life is in the pits. And if you feel like you are in the pits, this sermon is for you. And if you feel like you are not in the pits, guess what? You're headed there. One, your coat does not define your calling. Savor that for a moment. Your coat does not define your calling. I think for some, it's just like, hey, part of my calling is to wear this coat. And if I don't have the coat, I don't have the calling. And so therefore, now that my coat is stripped from me, well, so far, uh, I, I, I just can't see how God can use me now. But remember how I said that faith, this whole idea of God wanting to grow us in faith. In fact, Scripture says without faith, it's impossible to please God. So remember I said that trials is the food of faith to make us strong. But it doesn't only make you strong, it can make those around you who see how you are living life in the pit, it can minister to them. See, this is the hope that we have in all this. In fact, if you go now to chapter 39, you see that, um, again, I, I love this terminology in verse 39.1. Now, Joseph had been brought down to Egypt. He was sold to Ishmaelite slave traders. He was sold for silver. And so he is now going from one pit to another pit. Now, this pit has a little bit of glamour to it because it is really the pit of slavery, but in a palace. This was the chief of the Egyptian armies. And so notice verse 2. This is so important, folks. It's reminiscent of the song that we just sung. The Lord was with Joseph. 
The Lord was with Joseph. How many times when we slip into a pit do we think we are there all by ourselves? It says the Lord was with Joseph. In verse 3, it says, His master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord caused all that he did to succeed in his hands. And so, yes, he's a slave, but he's put in charge of the household. Now, you might say, that's not so bad. Well, he's still a slave. He doesn't have the freedom to go anywhere. He is over his master's house. Now, here's where it gets really interesting. And for those of you who are reading through the Bible for the first time, this could be thoroughly confusing. But here we go. In chapter 39, Joseph is stripped again. The first time by his brothers, stripping him of his identity, stripping him of his robe. Now, as a servant, he gets propositioned by his boss's wife, and it said day after day after day, she kept propositioning him. And in verse 9, he said, how can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So even though he's in this pit of discouragement, he doesn't want to be a slave, but even as a slave, who is he fearing? He's fearing God. He's saying, no, I I cannot sin against my God. I will not do that. And what does she do? Verse 12, she caught him by his garment saying, lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand. He left his garment in her hand. He had been stripped again. But here's the deal. And this is where it gets very confusing in this walk of faith. He was stripped again for doing the right thing. Some of you might go, man, I do the right thing and I'm paying for it. Some of you, man, I've lost the job I had for many years and I've been a Christ follower and I've been dedicated to obeying God's word. And now I see a, 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 a guy at work or a woman at work and they get this promotion that I thought I deserved. And so I get laid off and they're getting promoted. Well, If that's happening to you, Joseph goes from being a slave in a palace to going to prison. He goes to prison. The pit to the palace, but a slave in the palace and to a prison. Is life working out good for Joseph? I mean, think about it. I mean, he is not going to be on a talk show going, how great is your life? I mean, there's nothing about his life. He could say, well, I had a dream, but man, there is no way in the world that dream will ever come about. I mean, there is no way this could ever come about. So I guess I am just living this. I I feel like I'm fearing God and I feel like I'm obeying God, but nothing in the world is working out for me. But verse 21 says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Okay, so as we are reading through this, it's, we sometimes think that Joseph was just, man, I could never be like Joseph. But here's the deal. I don't think the story is encouraging you to be like Joseph. I'll explain here in a bit, because I think in so many churches, the the message 
uh, is something like this. You know, be more like Joseph. So when you trust God, when you're in the pits, well, then you trust him and everything will work out in the end. But then not everything works out for everybody in the end, at least on this side of glory. This leads us to our second truth. You don't have to understand God's plan to trust God's purpose. Think on that. How many of you just say, okay, God, I will start trusting you when I understand what the heck you are doing. And so many times we can have sleepless nights We could start coping in very unhealthy ways because all we can do is try to figure out, okay, what am I doing wrong? Okay, okay, do I need to do this? And without realizing it, we play religion. We play religion. Oh, if I do this and make this sacrifice, I will appease the gods and they will start doing everything that I want. Well, here's the thing. Joseph was right smack dab center in the will of God. It was not fun But really, it was the right place for Joseph to be. Now, for those of you who think this was some great deal, well, as the story goes on in chapter 40, you've got this chief cupbearer and chief baker, and they have dreams, and and Joseph is able to interpret their dreams. And then those dreams come true. And now listen to this line, because this makes Joseph very human. If you are hearing this story and life in the pits and trusting God in the pits, you just think that Joseph is some super guy who is just going, hey, man, I'm going to, I'm just going to celebrate that I'm in the pits. Well, listen to what Genesis 40 verse 14 says. When the cupbearer was assuming his chief cupbearer position back with Pharaoh, he says these words in verse 14, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh and so get me out of this house. Does that sound like Joseph was loving his situation? No. He he is like appealing as a prisoner would appeal to the president of the United States for a pardon. He's saying, please. And then he goes on, for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I have done nothing that they should put me into this what? this pit. See, here's a guy whose life was in the pits. He was going from one pit to the next pit to the next pit. He's going to all these pits. And yes, he's fearing God in the midst of them. But what is clear from these verses is he doesn't like it. And to make matters worse, what are the first words of Genesis 41? Oh, no, 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 no. Forget that. The last verse of Genesis 40. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. Okay, we laugh. You who laugh have no mercy hearts whatsoever. You just, you just identified yourself. Now, how sad. It would be two more years, two more years before the opportunity finally presents itself. But it, oh, here is what I want to remind us of here today. You know, in the Bible, there are many verses that we are encouraged to memorize, and they sound so good, 
And, and I'm going to put one of them up here for you. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. Yes, this is one that so many have committed to memory. And you go, man, isn't that a great verse? My question for you, is it? Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. But Lord, I insist to understand. He just says, I didn't promise you that I would explain everything. You've got to trust my purpose. I've got a plan. You're in the middle of it. You may not like it. You've got to trust me in it. And whenever you're feeling discouraged, you need to look at who is beside you. The Lord was with. The Lord was with. The Lord was with. And as followers of Jesus Christ, he promises never to leave or forsake you. So if you are in the pit and you're discouraged, just know that you're not in there alone. He is with you. But there was a verse, another one last week that I shared. The verse, many are the plans in the mind of a man, but, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. The purpose of the Lord that will stand. This reminds me of another doctrine. Last week we talked briefly about the doctrine of divine election and how God knew and had called Jacob before he was even born to a particular life. God knew, he foreknew. But today, in this story, we see another doctrine, the doctrine of divine providence. And what is so encouraging about this, that as you read through God's word, you understand that God didn't just create us and then put the laws of nature in place and then say, okay, good luck with this. He's with us every step of the way. See, the doctrine of divine providence says this, that God continues to exercise divine energy in three ways, preserving all of his creatures, to directing all things to their appointed end. Now, I know there's a tension in that because God is sovereign. He is working out his plan. At the same time, we have choices. And as I said last week, there is a particular tension that I think very similar to if you're in an airplane, that you look and you see one wing on one side, one wing on the other side, and know that both of those wings operating simultaneously provides the lift in the law of aerodynamics. Now, some might say, but I like this wing better than that wing. Yes, great. But it requires both of them to have that lift. This is how I see the sovereignty of God, the providential hand of God. And that even in a pandemic, a pandemic cannot stop the purposes of God. Cannot stop the purposes of God. And so, through all of this, now we've got to fast forward. Okay, Joseph, he does interpret the dreams. He is now taken out of the pits, and he is promoted into a place of prominence. So, are you kidding me? How many years did that take? It took 13 years. 13 years in total. 13 years is a long time. 13 years ago was when? 2008? 2008? Think of where you were in 2008. 13 years from the time where you are now sold into slavery to the place. That's a 13-year process. That's 13 years of life in the pits. That's a long time. But then 
what we see is I, I love the dialogue. I love the dialogue that uh, Joseph has with the Pharaoh. The Pharaoh is told about Joseph. The Pharaoh goes to see Joseph. And then look at verse 14 of Genesis 41. It says, then Pharaoh sent and called Joseph and they quickly brought him out of the pit. Love that imagery. And then Pharaoh says, hey, I believe that I've heard something about you being able to interpret dreams. And then Joseph says something so gutsy. Verse 16, Joseph answered Pharaoh, it is not in me. God, Elohim, will give Pharaoh a favorable answer. Now, why is this such a gutsy statement? You need to know history. How did people view pharaohs in that day? They were gods. Okay, the people call you a god. Pharaohs referred to themselves as gods. So here you have this guy out of prison. Actually, he's still in prison. And he says, oh, you know what? Um, no, I'm not going to be the one interpreting this, but, but God's going to interpret it. Oh, and bottom line is you're not God. See, I want you to capture just how significant Joseph's statement was. He says, man, you're not God, but God will reveal this to me. Long story short, God does. I mean, there's this dream, and, and he's sharing his dream, and he says, yeah, these skinny cows, and what they did is they said, eat more chicken. Um, <laughs> I'm just making sure you're with me, all right? And so all of this and, and everything, uh, so Joseph was ready for this moment. Not only did he interpret the dream, but he also had a wise course of action of this is now, Pharaoh, what you should do. And then Pharaoh appoints him. And so he goes from the pit to slavery in the palace to the prison to now he's a prince. Could you have ever, do you think Joseph would have ever imagined that happening? I, I tell you, it's, it's an amazing story. Can we fast forward? Well, actually, no, before we fast forward, third truth. Your disappointment with God often serves as a divine appointment from God. Now, some of you, oh, pastor, how can anyone be disappointed with God? Seriously? If you truly believe that God is sovereign over all and allows all and nothing you go through has ever been able to happen without it going through the filter of God's sovereign plan, and you are going through cancer, you're going through maybe a child who you've lost or maybe a, a child who's making some very poor choices or, or you're going through stuff which is very, very tough. And honestly, if you're honest with your own heart, you would say, God, I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that I have to go through this or that they have to go through this. But here's the beauty of the story that Potiphar, that the jailer, and now Pharaoh himself all got a glimpse of the greatness of God by the faith that Joseph exercised. See, they were able to eat from his faith, and I'm sure they were touched. I mean, the text was very clear in each one of these cases. They saw that the hand of God was on Joseph. They saw, they saw, they saw. They were close enough to see. Now, you fast forward the story, 
And I'll tell you, it would make for a great movie. I mean, all, all this plot line is perfect for a vengeful movie, but you don't get that in Joseph. In fact, Joseph says this, if you fast forward, the, the famine has, has come as the dreams, as God revealed in Pharaoh's dream. And, and you know, it, it might be about 10 years. So Joseph might be about 40 years old when all of this is starting to go down. And then he does this reveal. I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. He's acknowledging. He says, yes, you might have done this, but it was God who was behind putting me in this pit to strip me of my identity <laughs> and, and to get my identity in him. And, and then he put me in this pit to strip me of my reputation and all the value I was putting in on being just such a great person. And he stripped me of these things so I would start depending less on me and more on him. And now he gets to the place where he says these words. And then he says in verse 7, God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to keep alive for you many survivors. So it was not you who sent me here, but God. Did you get that? He said, it is not you who sent me here, but God. And, and did you also notice what he didn't say? He didn't say, oh, it was not you who sent me here, but Satan. How many times in the church do we hear that? Oh, this is an uncomfortable situation. Must be Satan. Must be Satan. No, it says God is the one who is doing the directing. That even though we know the verse that every good and perfect gift comes from above, some of those gifts don't feel like good gifts, but they're perfect gifts because we have found our identity and significance in some clothing that is not Christ. We might convince ourselves that we think we are secure in who we are in Christ, but then those robes get stripped from us. And I was always told that you never know what's in a sponge until it has been squeezed. And when it has been squeezed, you get to see what the contents are. And I think for many of us, we have been squeezed. And it is an opportunity for us to be honest with what is coming out in our hearts. Is our, are our lives falling apart? Are we going on into further isolation? Because, man, it, it just, life doesn't make sense. Man, surely God doesn't want me in the pits. But here you have a guy who was very godly, who found himself in one pit to the next pit to the next pit, but because he didn't throw in the towel, he gets to be risen up out of the pits and into the place of prominence. At the very end, we have these words, Genesis 50, the very end of this book, says, but Joseph said to them, this is after Jacob had died, and now the brothers were again fearful that Joseph would retaliate. And he says, do not fear, for I am in the place of God. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He said, yes, it was no fun being me, but in this process of being me, God rose me to a position to do something that would save many, many lives. Isn't that good news?
Leading to the big idea of the day is to turn the page by recognizing that some of life's toughest trials provide a platform for God's greatest triumphs. And you might say, I don't see it. You may be as blind to that as Joseph was at 17 going, I don't know how you guys are going to bow to me, but you're going to bow to me. I had a dream. God revealed it. It's as clear as day. Joseph couldn't have manufactured this. It is God that is orchestrating every step of the way. And it wasn't a fun road, but it was a straight road. Remember, don't rely on our own understanding in all our ways acknowledge him and he will make our paths straight. Doesn't mean it'll be easy, but it is straight. So as we read through the story, quick question. Does Joseph's life remind you of anybody in the New Testament? How about this guy? Think about it. Jesus was betrayed by his brethren. He was sold for pieces of silver. He was unjustly imprisoned, unjustly. And on the night before he was crucified, he prayed this prayer, Lord can you please take this cup from me? Can you please deliver me from this pit that you have put before me? But not my will, but your will be done. And he dies for you and for me in our place. He dies the penalty for the sins that we deserve. He does that. And on that cross, he says these words, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He's saying, yes, you're intending this for evil. Now, do you know in hell, on Friday night of the crucifixion, there was probably a party in hell because they saw the crucifixion as victory. But then Sunday came. I mean, I'm just, it just it busts me up because Satan's not sovereign. He doesn't know what all is going to happen. Only God knows that. And it's almost like, checkmate. I got you. Didn't see that one coming, did you? And we get to live in the power of that resurrection, folks. So it's not like trying your own will to try to be like Joseph. No, it is through the power and authority of Jesus Christ, our Lord, that he transform our hearts so that we can be something like this. You've got the Apostle Paul who wrote most of the New Testament. He is in prison, mind you, when he writes this. So he's in a pit like Joseph was in a pit. And he says these words, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. He's saying this, don't go venting when you're in the pit to everybody about how bad your life is. And Man, life is in the pits and look at our society and everything's going bad. No, he says this, no, on the contrary, let your reasonableness, let your confidence in your Savior be evident to everybody. 
He says, the Lord is at hand, meaning this, he hasn't abandoned you even in the prison. He hasn't abandoned you. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the what of God? The peace of God, the peace that you need when you're in the pits, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Your trials are the food to grow you in faith and to grow those near you in faith. Folks, that's why these times have been a beautiful opportunity, not an easy opportunity, but a beautiful opportunity for the peace of Christ to so overwhelm your demeanor that everybody can pay attention and notice. Oh, that's the good news of this. That's the great news of this story. And so now I find that the word of God, it's always appropriate for a response, not for us just to nod and say, hey, yeah, I agree with that. Yep, that was really good. Oh, never thought of that, Brian. No, this is a time for your response. And so I want you, and I put this picture up there of just coming and bowing before the cross and having the resurrected Savior meeting you where you are now today, wherever you might be, wherever you might be watching from or listening May today be the day that I, I, I'm going to, I'm just going to ask you to be vulnerable. Here at Grace Spring, we believe that the church family must be a place that you can be vulnerable and transparent. This has to be a place like that. And so I'm going to do something very gutsy right now. I'm going to ask a question, and I don't want you to think about it and see how many other hands are raising. I just want to ask you this question. If you feel like you are in a pit you have been discouraged. You've been looking around. It doesn't seem like a good way out, but, but you know what? I, and, and, and it's affecting your demeanor, and it's clouding your judgment. You, you feel like you're in a pit. I just want you to raise your hand. Why don't you raise your hand? See, a lot of people in the pit right now. I know people who've lost their jobs financially, having a hard times, making transitions from one place to another place. Life is different. Man, COVID has changed things. Life is tough. But man, with those hands raised, let us pray over you. And you online, feel free to raise your hand and say, yes, pray for me and type in maybe a, a, a particular way you can pray. But I want to pray for you right now. And we as a family of faith want to lift you up right now. Lord God, I pray for those who've raised their hands because they have been moved so much by your Holy Spirit that, that they're in something, that, that they need your presence felt in an amazing way. And maybe when they look side to side, it just doesn't feel like you are there. Lord, I pray, Father, that they can just trust that you have a, a purpose and, and help us not have to demand a knowing um, all of the facets to the plan, but Lord, may we be a people who trust in your purpose. And so, Father, I pray. I pray for those who are feeling just a lack of peace, a lack of shalom. Father, I pray that here at this time that, that Lord, that maybe through this, this story, you have unlocked somebody the opportunity of recognizing that, yes, sometimes God leads you from pit to pit to pit, but how we go through that is an opportunity for others to see how we go through tough stuff, yet not trapped under the weight or the burden of it, but soaring even with wiggle, wig, eagle's wings over 
just the difficulty of our circumstances because our eyes are fixed on you, Lord. And so I pray for all that who are hearing right now. May this be a day of their deliverance. Maybe not the deliverance from the pit, but deliverance from being in that pit all alone. Help us, Lord, I pray in your name, amen. But you know, it doesn't stop there. I know a sermon like this, I know some people listen and listen, and for years maybe you've known so much about God, but now this is the first time reading through the, the Word of God and, and, and being on this journey that God is making himself known to you in a very personal way. And maybe you're fighting that because it's like, man, I still have so many unanswered questions. Here's the thing I love about God's word. When you see his disciples, they followed and they didn't have all the answers, but they followed. And so here's what I want to invite you to do. Pray with me. If, if, if I, I just want everyone to bow your heads, close your eyes. And I want to pray for those who are here and those who are listening who have not yet taken that step of faith into the family of God and do that right now. Lord God, I pray for those whose hearts are stirring in them to respond in faith. And faith is not that we have all those answers figured out, but faith is just responding to your call, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. It is following you. It is getting our gaze on you that changes us. And so, Father, I pray for that man, woman, or child right now at this moment who is saying, I must now, I must just take a step towards the Lord because this is where life is found. And so, Father, I pray for many today to take that step closer to knowing who you are, not just in concept, but in relationship. Lord, thank you for the salvation that is going on here today. And Lord, we praise you for the greatness of your salvation. Thank you for stories like Joseph. And thank you for sending Jesus Christ, empowering us to live this life that you've called us to, a life of meaning and a life of purpose. We thank you in your name.